Welcome to the Fifth Substitute Podcast. Today, the panel is discussing the La Liga and Real Madrid have been crowned for the 34th time in the history. I believe congratulations are in order towards Real Madrid. And let's be honest, they have been phenomenal this season. Real Madrid, as as witnessed by the world uh, at large in the La Liga, has been a story of redemption, including their keeper, including most of the members of the squad. And to put that to context, I would just like to discuss the 18th, 19th season, which was a bit of a downer. They were in free fall for the most part of it. And certainly the change of managers did not help because after the 2018 final, Champions League final, five days after that final, Zidane had left the squad. And of course, Ronaldo also had left in the summer for Juventus. And the squad was in disarray, let's be honest. And uh, later on, they would have Lopetegui as the manager, the Spanish manager who signed for Real Madrid uh, then, before, just before the World Cup, I think. And uh, Lopetegui... Did not have a good start, losing to Betis 2-1 at the Bernabeu. His time came to an end when Solari was employed by the club. Solari put in some good results, but then the Champions League ouster against Ajax in the 4-1 defeat did not help. I would just like to analyze that 18-19 situation so that we can just put some context into Real Madrid's 34th time. I would just like to move to Michu. Michu, can you just let us know about the 18-19 season of Real Madrid? Yeah, of course. The 1890 season was, what do we say, the disaster after a great triumph of that hat-trick of UCL trophies and those amount of trophies they won with Zinedine uh, the Zidane. You know, uh, this philosophy that they carried on, that they wanted another one of their own to come back and manage the squad. And they thought that same philosophy would be crowned uh, and would uh, be guaranteed an achievement to each and every player that was playing under the regime of Solari and uh, Lopetegui, actually. Sorry, we're starting with Lopetegui. But uh, the certain change in uh, managerial role from Lopetegui from the Spanish national team to uh, Real Madrid was that great uh, flinch in timeline that entered into something that a new squad needed more experience. About the other ones that we were talking about, Vinicius Jr. as well as Cortes coming from Chelsea, different playing style that they tried to adopt, a 4-3-3 in its own behalf where the flanks were not as much used as when uh, Zidane used to do it. So a different changing style and philosophy that caused them uh, initial games and that momentum carried on and hence the management board of directors had to take the, what we say, the necessary step of getting him out of the entire thing. Uh, so about this, let's continue over what we want to talk about Real Madrid and other one stuff. Arijit. Yeah, me too. Yeah, actually, to add on to your point, uh, confidence is a real thing and uh, people underestimate that thing. Uh, they just overrate that the whole tactical part, how you attack, how you defend, that sort of a thing. But then confidence is a really important factor in a team because, it's, of course, it's a team sport. And what I felt with Lopetegui as well as Solari that they did not, they were not that Galactico mentality, you know. They just 
keep on winning and keep on being relentless throughout the season. And that's what Zidane's teams throughout his history have done. And as well as uh, him being in the team, the Real Madrid squad has done. Zidane puts that sort of a confidence in the squad and they just return the favor. Look at Thibaut Courtois. He had a horrific 18-19 season. I think uh, one of the least clean sheets in the, in the La Liga season that year. And uh, I remember some of the stark results in UCL when they lost 3-0 to CSK Moscow. As well as, of course, the 4-1 thumping that I've already mentioned versus Ajax at the Bernabeu itself. But people forget this first leg of that very encounter. I remember Vinicius Jr. having an excellent game at Johan Cruyff Arena in Amsterdam. And also Benzema. Benzema also had, had a decent 18-19 season, but that, that went under the radar when they, they were eliminated from the UCL. But talking about Benzema, he of course performed really well this season. And just to put some context to that, Benzema has been prolific after Ronaldo left. And it's, a, it's high time that we acknowledge his brilliance. And he has been a good servant for the club. As well as Solari. Solari was thanked for his services for the club. And then Zidane was again appointed just, out, just nine months after he left the club. Moving on to this La Liga season, the 1920 season. I would just like to ask Dandip's view and just I, I want him to analyze the whole bit as a Real Madrid fan. Yes, Arjit. So just like you mentioned earlier, Real Madrid had a very successful season this year, defensively to be strictly speaking. They only conceded 25 goals in 38 matches, scoring 70 goals. And the main credit goes to the team as well as the great manager, Zinedine Zidane. He has been one of the best managers in all of the Europe in recent years. Just like both of you mentioned earlier that after the season of Real Madrid 18-19, many questions were arised as talking about the reinforcement of the squad. But when the shocking news of Zinedine Zidane return came to the view, then thankfully it didn't happen. And of course, they ended up buying new players like Rodrigo, then Adam Militao, then Fallon Mendy. And they have been doing great this season. They are also... Given the split duties of uh, Marcelo and Danny Carvajal, uh, who, who has been aging fast. But overall, the team has been fantastic this season. They have been, the bench was fantastic, including Bale, Vasquez, Diaz, Mitao. So it's overall high quality of uh, replacement. Now, talking about the yeah. tactics, Real Madrid often looks to press high and play from back, added by a high defensive line. Uh, also, when the opposition team attacks with both wingers in addition to Having their midfield centrally as well, Real Madrid centrals shift defensively, forming a narrow 4-4-1-1 shape, giving up the wings. Adding on to their attack, when they attack, the wingers, they maintain a width between them, making them wide apart, which helps them to create space in the midfield to build up a central uh, play uh, to you know, give the more chance uh, to the midfield players to you know, score goals and all. Also, many times we also witness that they look to, you know, treat the ball to, to both sides of wing play. When the opposition team presses on one side and occasionally the striker would join the right back to give them the, you know, numeric advantage over the ball uh, when the ball is switched. For example, when you look back at the at Clasico game, uh, Marcelo passed the ball to Danny Carvajal, who was on the other side of the wing when the left side of the pitch was overpopulated by Barca. Then again, we can also see that as soon as the ball is received by Carvajal, Karim Benzema backs off and provides a numerical advantage to the 
team, you know, creating a good passing between them. And again, when Barca's side sees the ball, they switch their side back to the uh, right wing. Then again, uh, Real Madrid looks to it and they again switch the ball back to Marcelo and Marcelo ends up giving an assist to Vinicius Jr. who scored an incredible goal. So, yeah. yeah that's, uh, yeah, Dandip, uh, Dandip, I have a question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is regarding, you mentioned the El Clasico, right? This is regarding the second El Clasico of the season, which was 2-0 at the Bernabeu. Do you think that uh, El Clasico result somehow made a statement to the entire La Liga that Real Madrid were now here for the title race, were now up for it, finally? Yeah, Arjit, Real Madrid definitely made a statement in the win against their rivals, Barcelona in the El Clasico, making a statement to the entire La Liga campaign this season. And of course, beating the rival is the best thing you can achieve. I would like to talk about some players like our captain, Sergio Ramos. This season, he has been very solid. His positioning and defending have been very sharp. If you look back in the match against Granada, where he had presence of mind to retreat himself to the goal line as Granada, Cut the ball across the box and ended up making a match-saving goal line clearance. I think that was phenomenal from him. Moreover, adding on to defense, he also scored 11 goals this season and some penalties along with one free kick. And along with him, Rafael Varane refound his form. Same goes for Marcelo and Carvajal. And of course, Sergio Ramos didn't let the standards of Real Madrid to fall. Some credit also goes to the players like Casemiro and the other two midfielders, Tony Cruz, Luka Modric. And adding on to that, a fantastic young star, Valverde, has been fantastic this season. Talking about Tirbao Courtois, has been excellent this season. He made 18 clean sheets this season, making him Real Madrid's first keeper to reach the tally the legendary keeper Buyol in 1994-95 season where he had 19 clean sheets. So yeah, overall, this season was fantastic for the entire Real Madrid team and I was very happy with the success. So yeah, Dandip, uh, we congratulate you on your title and of course Real Madrid deserve everything they've got so far. They have challenged and they have been dogged in their defending as well as their attacking and they of course deserve the La Liga title. While talking about deserving the title, I should mention the, the teams that finished just below Real Madrid in the first place. And we talk about Barcelona and we should also talk about Sevilla, Atletico Madrid, Villarreal, Real Sociedad and any other teams. And I would just like to introduce all of you to our guest on this time on La Liga Roundup, which is Nior Talukdar. Nior is here as an Atletico Madrid fan, as an El Cholo fan. So yeah, I'd just like to know Nior's view on the Atletico Madrid season as well as the top four thing. Let me just talk about my team's results in that La Liga. Let me divide my team's performance into two halves because this is how it has been. The post-COVID one and the pre-COVID one. Before I start, congratulations to Dhandeep and the followers of Real Madrid for winning the 34th La Liga title. They have been one of the greatest teams in this year's campaign with losing only three matches, whereas Atletico finished with four losers. Now, if you look at it, four losers in stats looks really good. But considering the amount of points they ended up winning, considering the position they ended up, it is not good. Let's talk about how things was before pre-COVID. Atletico Madrid lost their talisman, they lost their leader. It has been a new thing for Atletico. They have to make a new team. 
the last time we have seen atletico made a new team was 13-14 season where they managed to win la liga and then it has been a great team with Diego Godin as their leader, Griezmann as their talisman. But then some unfortunate events and Griezmann had to leave. Godin's contract expired. So does Juan Fran and Felipe Luis. So it was a very challenging task for Atletico Madrid to make up a new team with recruitment of Kieran Trippier in right back, Renan Lodi in left back. And of course, how can you forget the 120 million wonder kid, Yao Felix. But then... Things didn't go as they planned. The start of the season, they didn't lose the match exactly, but they didn't win it either. They lacked the attacking. They lacked the counter-attack. They lacked that prolific scoring streak. They lacked the creation. So they had 16 draws in the entire campaign. That's huge. If, if you're playing to win a league and you are ending up draw, so it is huge. Let's talk about... How the team, which was at 6th position at the start of the season, ended up at the 3rd position. We can always say confidence is always the boost for us, the Ross, the Lurie Blancos. We have been always had that fighting speed within us. So this is what we proved when we knocked out current champion of Europe, Liverpool, out of the Champions League in a miraculous comeback. Still hurts. <laughs> yes, Arjit has a lot of pain in, in him actually regarding that. Champions League <laughs> disqualification. Too much pain. Too much pain. <laughs> yeah, say, once, once mistake is others boon, right? So yeah, let's, let's take it that way. True, true. So after that, you know, elimination of the champion, they really had a good moral boost within them. You know, they had that confidence that if they could eliminate the champions, they could also win the match. So after the COVID-19 pandemic happened, they have been in really good shape. They have been, you know, hard in training. And with that, we have also seen great results. And also their 5 nil win against Osasuna. So it has been a 50-50 season for Atletico Madrid as they at least managed to qualify for the Champions League for the next year. Considering a team that has no such big background, considering a team that has been an underdog since 2014, so it has been a big thing for us. Nior, I'd like to cut in with a couple of questions for you. I've always loved Atletico Madrid. I have always loved teams that defended well. They do that almost every season now because of Diego Simeone and his tactics. But what lacked was their attacking prowess. Last season, the matches that they would win 1-0, they, in this season, only managed to draw them 1-1 or something. Do you think putting Thomas Lemar in the bench played some role in that because they were not looking prolific in attack. And I think he had a lot of potential in him when he came here, but he has not played as many games and is kind of disappointing actually, to say the least. Well, first, the tactic which Cholo Simeone plays is a really defensive one. It, it requires both, you know, hard working. You have press hard and you also have to defend hard. So, considering the fact that Thomas Lemar has that willpower in him that he works hard, yeah, he has been selected as a Rose Royce Bengals player. But then I would say that the tactic formation or beat trusting old players more affected Thomas Lemar's performance. Let's let's talk about his form in Ace Monaco's dream run. He used to play in the left mid, did a phenomenal job, they knocked out Manchester City. So considering that Thomas Lemar was brought into Atletico. If Simeone is a bit patient with him, 
if Simeone can give him more game time, a change in tactic, maybe it will help him reach his potential. It's not in the creative side that we were lacking. The first half of the season, Koke didn't play the matches that well and he was also injured. So, Koke is one of our main creative playmakers. And with the absence of that, of course, we cannot expect much goal. Let's talk about the attack and goal scoring. We have Morata, we have Yao Felix, we have Diego Costa, we have Anel Correa. But the problem is that Yao Felix first in this La Liga campaign, we cannot blame him. Morata is trying to do his well, he's gained more confidence, he's performing well. But with Diego Costa and Correa's inconsistent performance, what I truly believe is Atletico needing a creative player and a prolific goal scorer which can help them boost their attack. And as far as we know that Edison Cavani is a free agent, so maybe signing him would really help Atletico with that attacking prowess. Talking about Jao Felix, I think he has had it a bit difficult this season. He has had a, couple, a few injuries as well. He's not really played a lot of matches. It's difficult to adjust to a new league, such a competitive league. Also, uh, coming to a more uh, important question, I think everybody wants to know this. Thomas Partey, I'd just like to know from you how big of a role he plays in the Atletico Madrid midfield. And also, we all know that he is bound to leave Atletico Madrid and how that would create a void in the midfield. And do Atletico have the resources to fill that void? I guess, Anish, the term you said that he's a big man of the hour, but I, I guess he's not for us, especially for you. <laughs> not everybody wants to know about him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, let's be honest, Thomas Partey has been in phenomenal performance. He showed a phenomenal performance against Liverpool that made all the big teams go for him or all the big teams have their eyes on him. Let's talk about Partey's role in Atletico's lineup. Since we, we all know that Cholo Simona's plan is a bit of tactics is defensive oriented, I'd rather say he's a destroyer. His job is to intercept, his job is to defend up, his job is to play the passes. Whenever he can get the space, move it forward, plays it cool, has the composer. And yeah, Thomas Partey has really good potential to be one of the greatest defensive midfielder ever. Now that we have talked about Atletico Madrid, let's talk about the team in second, Barcelona. They were in the pole position to uh, win the La Liga, but they, uh, they fucked it all up. Rishiran, what do you have to say about this? Come on, bro. You don't have to be so disrespectful. Uh, truly though, this season has been a disaster according to Barcelona standards because their standards are quite high. Instead of focusing on what went wrong, I'd like to give my take as a neutral fan. I'd like to begin with their coaching and managerial stuff. I personally fall into the camp that Valverde was kept at Barcelona for, I think, far too long as the board was unable. They were in a dilemma whether to keep him or not to keep him. They were unable to make any sort of decisions regarding his future. I think Valverde's consecutive league titles and also the domestic double in his first season, I think helped to paper over the doubts over his capability as a Barcelona manager. I'm not doubting his capability as a manager, but as a Barcelona manager, as the Barcelona way. And he kind of failed in a way and also Messi getting them out of crunchy situation time and time again. It, I think, helped to sugarcoat his season, even though the two Barcelona fans were able to see the cracks. But I think the board was unable to see the cracks from between, which led to three disasters. Number one, the collapse at Roma in the Champions League quarterfinal. Then the biggest one of all, the collapse at Anfield, where they bottled the 3-0 lead. And then again in the same season, 
the collapse against the less impressive Valencia side. After that, he was let go. But I think for that decision to be taken, they should have taken it already after the Roma game. So, like, these two disasters wouldn't have happened. The second thing I'm going to highlight is about the mentality of the Barcelona players. I think, as Nior said, there is a certain leader in the Atletico team. I see Saul as a leader in that Atletico team. But if you look at Barcelona, I do think like Barcelona is genuinely lacking a leader right now. Because whenever they're in a crunch situation, whenever they're in an unfamiliar situation, like they're down by two goals, they'll panic. They'll just look at each other what to do. Or they'll, they'll look at Messi to get them over the line. But I don't think it is a one-man club, one-man show. It shouldn't be a one-man show. I think on the field leaders like Suarez, Busquets and Piquet should be questioned for this. That Liverpool defeat still shakes Barcelona to this day. And the third point I'm going to highlight is the La Masia. I, I know like La Masia is a very important thing for Barcelona for the last few seasons. But under this Bartimeo's reign, under this board, watch Barcelona have gone further and further from their identity, I feel. The identity that once helped them to become the pinnacle of football. Success rooted within a club philosophy of developing talent from within their own ranks with a distinct ideology surrounding football. That is missing. That has completely gone missing for Barcelona. I think that uh, one, prob- one main problem for La Masia's demise is, I think, Bartimeo himself. Because Bartimeo introduced that thing called Masia 360. There is a very phenomenal article by Spanish journalist Xavi Torres, where he talks about how that Masia 360 program contributed towards La Masia's demise from within. Barcelona fans, hardcore Barcelona fans, I do believe that you should check it out and get to know what is happening wrong with your club. And the last point I'd like to highlight is the transfer. From, I think, 2015, 2015 to 2020, Barcelona have spent, I think, over $800 million on players that haven't been around the club any longer or have underperformed. They have completely shut down the development of younger talent, with the exception of being Ansu Fati, who has gotten, I think, 891 minutes this season, and Ricky Puig. These two are the main players who have outshone the Barcelona way, current Barcelona way of incorporating aged players in their team. I don't know what is wrong with them. And the last thing uh, I'd like to mention is that Pjanic and uh, Melo disaster. Uh, I'd sum it as a disaster because it is. Many of the fans will agree. I get it. They wanted to balance their books. But uh, selling Arthur Melo, a 23-year-old who was sort of seen as the replacement for Zavi, for yeah, Marilyn Pjanic, who's like 2019-20 season has been a disaster. It has been one of his worst performance as an individual player. So I don't know why they decided to buy him. So I don't know what they want to do with it. Alan, got in with some of my queries against your transfer policies. We all know how disastrous it has been for Barcelona ever since they yeah. have, you know, wanted to replace Neymar, bringing in Usmane Dembele, Philip yeah. Coutinho, and their latest edition, Anton Griezmann. Griezmann. So, yes. what is your take on his cameo in his match? Uh, I genuinely do believe that Antoine Griezmann has been played out of position from the very beginning of the season. He has been pushed aside to the left-wing side, which is not his ideal position. Even the national team manager of France criticized Barcelona and the manager for making him play on a position where he is not at all comfortable. He's a centre-forward. I get it that in uh, Real Sociedad, he played as yes. a left-winger. But that was uh, when he was like 21-22. Right now, he's almost 30. And we know what uh, he can do in the position of a centre-forward. We have already seen 
that in the World Cup and also with Atletico Madrid. So I do not get Valverde's tactic of always sticking him towards the left hand side. Well, Kike Setien resonate with me. Yeah, and also Kike Setien too. I think the Barcelona board is too afraid to let go of Suarez. I guess. I mean, he's a brilliant player, but he's aging. So Griezmann's opportunities are being butchered. Did you think that his transfer to Barcelona was his downfall to his own career? Let's see. Only Griezmann is not responsible for for this transfer. Uh, I think Griezmann, what he hoped was he would be getting getting a starting role in the center forward position because Suarez is aging. He's I think 33, and he's not the old Suarez that he used to be, the El Pistolero. But what Griezmann expected was not this, I guess, to be shoved aside towards the left hand side. And you can even see that the interplay is not good between the three players, Messi and Suarez. Their interplay is quite phenomenal. But sometimes you see uh, Griezmann just being there. He's like open to a very beautiful pass, but for some reason Messi cho- doesn't choose to pick him, or Suarez doesn't cho- choose to pick him. You can't blame, give the full blame on Griezmann. I think he hoped for much more than he what he is getting in Barcelona. In the recent times, I've seen an article where Messi is really disappointed, where he is being blamed for everything that is happening around and within the club. Even Eric Abidal made a statement that Messi was indirectly responsible for the sacking of Ernesto Valverde. What is your take I'll, on it? I'll just completely shut that down because Messi is just another player. I don't know why people have this aura of like he controls Barcelona. That's not it. All those points I mentioned in this podcast all lead back to the Barcelona board. All everything that is happening wrong right now is because of Barcelona's board. Like it was not Messi's decision to ship off like Arthur Melo and bring in Merlin Pjanic, or like sourcing their transfers uh, from other teams rather than looking to La Masia. So like I don't get it. I, I'll never get it, and I still don't get it. Barcelona, See, Barcelona are beca- uh, Barcelona are becoming the new old lady as we speak of. About the top three, we can always agree on that the top three is always permanent in this situation. That this is a very tight situation between who would win the title, being the top three league titles winners of the La Liga session as it goes for. But again, for each and every club that plays for a top four position, that uh, plays for a European spot, they they need this transition in their own self. They need the money for the European run they have. About European run, we can talk about Real Madrid having a hat trick of the bigger trophy. We can also talk about Sevilla, who won the three European titles till 2016 for the Europa League, and Unai Emery's great run. Unai Emery is now finally back to Villarreal, and everything. This transition of moments that is becoming between these two clubs, um, recent top six that we talk about. Uh, the only thing about these teams is that about Sevilla is that Sevilla under pa- Pablo Manchin. We're always not getting that last stack of game results that they wanted to be in the Champions League. They always ended up in Europa League and everything associated with this. Although they have a lot of things to consider, bonus loan spell needs to be permanent. Sevilla finally got a redemption from Lopetegui, and they are finally into the designated position that their board want to be. But talking about Sevilla, this was a very prominent season if we talk about it. But In association with that, the other teams. Even we talk about Granada. Granada was third in the table when Barcelona were leading the league. Actually, so it was a very good run for Granada. It's somehow a good matching situation for Granada and Sheffield United as we talk about this new club that comes into the league and punch more than their weight. But let's talk about this new regime that they will have. How they have come far during the last season. I would like to give the mic back to Sorov Harali actually, because uh, we want to talk about a very specific team about CFC Villarreal actually. So. Uh, what do, would you have the everything you talk about about Villarreal sort of? 
So if I walk you back towards the last European season, they were outclassed by Valencia in the quarters of uh, Europa League. So after that, they had a determined start in the La Liga. And for the first half before the lockdown, they were performing really good against the present top four teams. They drew with Madrid where uh, Gerard Moreno and Moy Gomez scored. And uh, on the other side, Gareth Bale also scored twice, but uh, he was sent off in the extra time. And they also had an upper hand with Sevilla at Ramon Sanchez Pizjuan, uh, Sevilla's home ground. So they beat Sevilla by 2-1. And they also, uh, you know, caught a hold with Atletico Madrid in their first legs. So they were really going good, having a good start. But on the contrary, they were performing uh, mildly with the mid-tire and the bottom-tire teams. They also performed quite uh, less when they confronted the relegated teams as of now. And talking on the other side of the lockdown, they came in uh, as a different team. Uh, they performed well against the mid-tire and bottom-tire teams rather than they performing with the top-tier teams. So they lost against the big four. They thrashed the mid-level team, scoring with goal differences as of two, three, four actually. So due to their transition in their play and their performance, they could you know, finish fifth in the league, which dignified their spot on the upcoming Europa League. And also, talking about the other side of La Liga, they proceeded to the quarters of Copa del Rey, where uh, they were uh, unfortunately thrashed by Mirandas with a 2-4 loss. And I would like to know more about the mid-tier teams, uh, Granada, Real Society, etc. So, Saurav, adding on to your part, it has been a very interesting season in La Liga, as uh, you guys have already spoken about. Yeah, talking about Real Sociedad and Granada, Granada, they started strong. And I remember them being second for a while in the league just behind Barcelona, tucked in behind Barcelona and in between Real Madrid, of course. Let's just say it was like Sheffield United-esque performance from Premier League and Granada, obviously, they, they had a good season, but then the occasion got too big for them and a mixed chain of results did not help them. So they eventually finished eight. Talking about the Athletic Bilbao, they were also very disappointing this season. They finished eight after a very promising start. They won against Barcelona, if I remember correctly, in the very onset of the season. And I think it was 1-0 at their home ground. And uh, Aduri scored a wonder goal. 39-year-old scored, uh, scoring that sort of a goal was something that took La Liga back to life, basically. So, yeah, talking about the teams that they're not good enough or rather fortunate enough to be stay in the business were, obviously, the relegated teams. Leganes were relegated, joining them Mallorca and, of course, Espanyol in their quest to becoming a second-tier club. And, of course, I felt bad for Leganes, especially because Mallorca and Espanyol, they certainly did not help themselves. Fragile defending, 58 goals conceded, 65 goals conceded on Mallorca's part, with scoring only 40 goals. I felt bad for Leganes, especially because they they started very promisingly the season. And uh, I remember them having won three matches out of the first four matches in the La Liga. With decent results, of course, and they were scoring goals at first. But injury certainly did not help them. And, of course, I remember certain results for, for Leganes because Leganes is, is actually a very impressive team. They try to play proactive football, which is not usually seen in these leagues in this level of La Liga. So, yeah, Leganes, uh, they had some good results with Athletic Bilbao. 
as well as Villarreal. They were guilty of drawing too many games which they could have won. They finished either nil-nil, 1-1 in games which they dominated and they actually played well in some of those games. They were unfortunate to go down, of course. So yeah, that's that from my side for relegation. I'd just like to thank Nior for his contribution today. I, I really liked his entire thing about Atletico Madrid. And of course, I, being an admirer of El Cholo myself, I obviously value his points. And I'd just like to say thank you, Nior. Yes, it's been my pleasure to be a part of your podcast. Uh, with this, I'd like to sign off. Then this is our La Liga Roundup because we try to make it very brief so that everyone gets a shred of everything they want to hear. Barcelona fans can hear what they what went wrong with their team. Real Madrid, of course, they can reflect on a very promising upcoming season as well as this season was brilliant for them. So yeah, this is me, Arijit Tarafdar, signing off from the Fifth of Secure podcast with the panel. Panel, guys, say bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye, guys.